Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Blue Collar Real Estate. I'm Greg Mayo. And I am Ryan Hergett. We are diving into something awesome today, Greg. What are we talking about? Well, we thought as we get more and more into different types of building that we would just take a few steps back and talk about how a house is put together. Start at the beginning. Let's talk about today maybe things like the foundation and what are the different types of foundations so that way if you're buying a house, you know what the hell the inspector's talking about when he mentions that you're on a slab or you know whatever different type of foundation. That's your world. And then we're also going to talk about framing. We're going to talk about some of the differences in building framing yep. over the last uh, century, really, and what's good, what's bad, some different things to maybe look for as you're going through the home buying process. And then we're going to wrap up with different wall types. So we're going to talk about some new construction, some new different products that I know you've been super involved with. So I'm excited to unbox this a little bit today, man. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, before we get into it, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're listening on one of the audio podcast formats, jump over to the YouTube channel because on the screen behind us, we're going to have some pictures and examples of the different things we're talking about today. Today's episode, by the way, brought to you by Willie's Burgers and Alligator Spay Neuter Clinic. Oh, boy. <laughs> Down on Sunset Beach in St. Petersburg, Florida. So have one of the best burgers in town while you get your gator fixed. There you go. There you go. I don't even. I've never tried gator. Have you? Oh yeah. I'm scared of it. Alligator yeah. tail is fantastic. The thing is to eat it, to kill it first. I, I would think that would be helpful or interesting. Yeah. <laughs> or interesting. <laughs> hey, wrestle gators. Um, All right, so let's get started today. Let's actually start with some of the different types of foundations, if you don't mind. I know uh, Jason, uh, producer Jason, is going to throw some uh, photos up on the backboard for us here in just a quick second. But Jason's going to be throwing shade. That's it. I just learned that. It's throwing something shade? the kids say, yeah. I, I, I've not heard that one. We'll get into it later. That'll be um, another episode. <laughs> So let's dive into foundations a little bit because, you know, there's there's so many different things that people need to be aware of as they're going through and navigating the process of buying a home. And some of these different types of foundations have other challenges associated with them, whereas others are relatively simple, like building on a slab. So let's kind of start unboxing that. I'll let you take it away. Well, let's start with um, poured-in-place concrete. And we'll have a slide up in a second. Next one. That's my house, actually. <laughs> there it is. All right, port in place there concrete. So usually you find this is this in basements. Yep. And you can see by looking at it, um, they put eight, nine-foot-tall forms up that are bolted together, which is why you see the little dots everywhere. Um, once the forms are set, they literally pour the concrete right in place. This is actually kind of a cool process. So when I used to work for a new home builder years, 20 years ago now at this point, I, I always wondered like how they poured the walls and actually went out one day and watched them do that where mm -hmm. they put those forms up and then they bring in this massive auger and they just drop concrete down. Yeah. It was cool as hell to watch actually. I had never seen that before. So. It really is. And and if you, if you watch it, the engineering and technology that goes into not only the forms themselves, so they don't splay out when mm -hmm. the concrete's poured, but just getting the concrete into the form. I know, truly. That's what's kind of cool. Um, and so then that's the most common with basements right now, right? So now I want to back up just a second on that because they used to do basements in like block walls. So, you know, if you go into a home built in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even in some cases, you see, you know, a lot of like basement block walls. Right. Why'd they change that? What was it that changed with building that said, hey, we need to do something about this and come up with this poor, you know, poor wall? Well, I think there are a couple things. Number one, um, laying eight by 16 blocks in a running bomb pattern, so staggered, you know. Yeah. Um, that requires a certain degree of skill as a mason. Yeah. 
um, setting forms is a carpentry mm-hmm. trade, really. Whereas, so the difference between mason and carpentry, um, they go up faster, they yep. go up easier, and they're more stable to the pressure, to ground pressure. In Indiana, especially in the Midwest, we have a lot of clay in our soil. Mm-hmm. That clay holds a lot of water. Water and clay in the soil make it very heavy, and it'll start pushing it on the walls. That's why you can go into some older homes built in the 40s, and you'll see the basement wall with a big yeah. bow in it like that. Um, so this is just a more stable way to do it. So is is there a problem with maybe, you know, the poured walls versus the block walls? I know a lot of times when, you know, I'm out showing homes for, you know, homes that were built in the 40s or 50s, mm-hmm. a little bit earlier than that in, in, in some cases, it's not uncommon at all to see a little bit of water in the basement from, you know, having those block walls. Did this really solve that problem when they chose to go to the poured, you know, poured foundation? Did that really, was that the thing that solved the leaking in basements, think you know, problems like that in general, or no? In fact, well, it helped, but there's a lot of other things that went into it too. Okay. Number one, on the outside of this wall, which you can't see, there's a product they put on a waterproofing membrane mm-hmm. um, that keeps water from getting through the concrete. Concrete, if you didn't know, takes roughly 98 years to fully cure. I did not know that. Um, interesting little tidbit. But the other thing is, in a lot of houses on the exterior, there's a perimeter drain. Mm-hmm that diverts water away from the foundation. And then finally, in any new house bill, crawl space or basement, there's a sump pump. Yep. So when water gets in and under, it's pumped out safely away from the foundation. Yep. And then just other other technologies advanced too, as far as rain collection, downspout extenders, I mean, little things like that that we've talked about before. The next slide, and if you look at, so this is concrete block. Yep. This used to be called cinder about. block, yeah. Um, concrete block, that's funny. I'm like, why didn't the slide change? But his did, mine did. <laughs> Good job, Jason. I'll try to catch up. Um, so this is what we were just talking about. And those individual concrete blocks are laid one at a time. Now, what's the advantage? Because this is obviously a newer home here, you know, that we've got in the photo here. Why would somebody choose to go this route today over what we just looked at? Well, this would typically be found on a crawl space. Okay. Um, or if you're doing a slab, sometimes they'll build the little knee walls up there and then on the blocks and then they'll pour the slab in the middle. Okay. Um, you don't see this a lot in basements anymore. Uh, I love now that would beg the question. Why don't we do poured walls for crawl spaces? Yeah. And the reason for that is uh, just logistics. Most concrete form carpenters don't have forms set up for crawl spaces just because of the depth perhaps or Uh, height. Got it. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, I'm smart sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I never am. Um, but a lot of cross, again, cross spaces, they still use this mostly. Now, I know you and I were talking, uh, you know, earlier today about, you know, other types of foundation walls. And I know there's there's some builders, you know, around Indianapolis, and they've certainly not built for a while now, but, you know, builders specifically that I know of that built homes on a wood foundation. What are some, maybe, you know, maybe some things that people need to be aware of when they are getting their inspection done as far as, you know, looking and making sure that they're not going to have foundation problems or just simply things that they need to maybe shy away from completely? Okay, so first thing. Wood foundations aren't super common, right? In, at least in this area. But in the Indianapolis market, there are a few neighborhoods built yeah. in the 70s, um, even up into the early 80s, that have pressure-treated wood foundations. Yep. When you have the inspection done, your inspector, you need to make sure you've he or she has taken pictures over every inch of that inside or really, really inspected the walls. Um, you really want to make sure you have a termite inspection done. I can see that. Because, you know, termites, wood, it's subterranean. <laughs> 
bad juju. Um, so that's the main thing. And the other thing is, if you're going to buy a house with a wood high with a wood foundation, then you want to make sure you're down there at least every six months. And we say that to yeah. people anyway. Uh, go in your crawl space every six months. But if you got a wood foundation, you just want to check on it. The the one I inspected five or six years ago was built in '82. Mm-hmm. The foundation was perfect. I mean, it was in great shape. So it's not a situation because, you know, when I've run into these in the past, and I've done probably four or five in the last three years where I've helped, you know, you know people buy homes with wood foundations, and immediately people's gut reaction is, I got to run away or they're going to have to bulldoze this house. And you're telling me that's not the case. No. Okay. So it's something that is sustainable that will last, but obviously, like anything, it's got to be maintained. It's got to be regularly looked at. So that way somebody's not going to walk in and inherit a problem. Right. Makes sense. Sweet. Anything about foundations that we haven't talked about? I know we, you know, we've kind of skimmed over slabs. Slabs are relatively simple, but yeah, actually, I do want to kind of hover there real quick because when talking about slabs, I know you know there's a certain percentage of buyers out there in the marketplace that also have concerns about that because well, what happens if a pipe bursts in your slab? What do you do at that point? <laughs> Which. And again, I'm going to preface you know what I just said with I have literally never ever had that happen with any of the customers I've helped in the last 20 years. However, that's still a concern that people have. So how do you address that? If 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 that happens, um, okay, I'm looking right at you now, folks. Call Ryan, have him list your house for sale as is. <laughs> no, um, if a pipe if a pipe or a, a sewer line burst in the slab of the house, then somebody has to come in with a jackhammer, yep, jack up all the concrete, lay in a new pipe. And then repour the concrete. But how common is that? Not very common at all. Um, back when they were building national homes in the 1960s, mm-hmm. they were on built on slabs. Yep. Now back then they ran all kinds of stuff through the slab, um, duct work for the HVAC yeah. system and plumbing. And the plumbing they used in some cases back then was low flow galvanized. Galvanized plumbing, it's galvanized steel. It rots, it rots. literally from the inside out. If you've got wet concrete that we know doesn't cure for 98 years. It's going to start rotting it, that moisture from the outside in. Yeah. So the kind of piping they use now, the technology we have now, you really aren't going to see that. Yep. Um, and if you do run into it, it, it in an old national home, for example, it it's something that can be fixed. And mm-hmm. now inspectors, some of them, um, and plumbers have gauges that they can shine on the floor, and it'll pick up leaks. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So is that like an infrared technology or something yeah. that they use? That's awesome. It's really cool. They're really expensive. Um, so I never had one when I was an inspector. But, I mean, it's just there's a lot of technology to help stave that off. And keep in mind, and you know this, almost all the homes be, being built now are built by production home builders. At the least vast the, majority, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're all either on a basement or a slab. Mm-hmm. So – Almost without exception, yeah. Right. Almost without exception. And it's been that way for, what, the last 20 years or so. Yeah. So let's let's kind of move from foundations. Into, well, well, there's oh, one more I want to talk oh, about. Because oh, this will kind of segue us into walls, too. Boom. Brick foundations. These you do not see a lot around here. However, I've been out east enough. I was out east three or four times this summer, and you saw this a lot yeah. out on the east coast. And you'll see this here. Um, it was really, really common up until about the 1930s. Mm-hmm. To build with brick foundations. Now, there's a difference between brick veneer on a wall of a house. Which is – so let's hover right there real quick. When you say veneer, veneer is literally just like the front shave off of a full brick, right? Is what it is? No. In fact, when I say brick veneer, what I mean is, all right, there's two options. This is brick construction. Yep. Now, the way we can tell that by looking at it is 
there you can see there are long bricks and there are short ones. Mm -hmm. So the long bricks are running this way. The short bricks are running that way. So these long rows are two bricks wide. The short ones span them. That gives you the structure of your wall. That makes sense. I didn't um, know that. Brick veneer will just be running long ways in a staggered or what's called a running bond pattern. Got it. Brick veneer is a stick-framed wall with the brick, a normal-sized brick, but stood off the house about a half inch. Got it. Got so it. the brick isn't actually touching the house. It's connected with brackets. So it's not even doing anything structurally for the integrity no. of the house. It's just there for aesthetics or right. anything at that point. Um, now, this kind of construction, they did it a lot with foundations. I've worked on houses where the whole wall was done just like this, was brick. Uh, they're really hard to put windows in. I can imagine. <laughs> but, but what we found over time is that they're not super stable. If you drive in like a downtown uh, of an old community like downtown Plainfield, for example, yep. or downtown Brownsburg or some of the older buildings, and you look, you'll see big metal stars or plates on the side of the building mm -hmm. at, at about floor height level. And you'll think, and you, you, you ever wonder what the hell that is? I've never thought about it, no. Well, brick walls are very unstable. There's nothing to keep them you know, from, sense, yeah. from doing this. So they would run a plate there and a plate on the other side of the building, run a long rod through the middle of the floor system to keep the walls from bowing out. Interesting. I did not know that at all. I'm just Learning here to new help. every day, dropping <laughs> knowledge over here. So with a brick, and again, you know, us being here in central Indiana, that's not something people are going to run into, especially on a, you know, a single-family residential home very commonly, but it certainly does exist. And sure. so it's something that we want to make make people be aware of and just, uh, you know, bring it to the, uh, the uh, top of mind for people. Now, what do we got next as far as different types of walls? Because I know you've got some new technology you're going to be— uh, There's a house I framed. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good at all. I was going for kind of an Escher vibe with it. And um, anyway, so the next thing, let's talk a little bit about framing. Mm -hmm. Again, with me, I, and I talk about old houses a lot. I like old houses, whatever. There are some technologies like brick walls and brick foundations that aren't um, suitable for today's modern living. That makes sense. <laughs> One of them, when we're talking about framing, if we can go to the next slide... This one's got a lot of detail on it, but this is called balloon framing. Balloon framing was super common from the late 1800s till again about the 1930s. Yep. Before that, it was post and beam, and we'll mm -hmm. talk about that some other time if we do a thing on that. But with balloon framing, you have the bottom plate sitting on your foundation, and then one framing member, a wall framing member, a two-by-four, that runs from the bottom plate all the way up to the ridge of the house. Which creates its own challenges because how the hell do you find a 24, 22-foot long single board? When's the last right. time you saw one of those at Lowe's? Right. I can't find an 8-foot straight board at Lowe's. <laughs> They're not a sponsor yet, and after that comment, probably won't be. Um, but so it was really, really common. They found a couple problems with it. Number one, finding long straight boards. And then the floor system was hung off of it. Right. So what you had from the basement or crawl space all the way up to the attic was an open channel. They were a severe fire hazard. That would make sense when you've got just an open channel running there and something bad happens. That doesn't take long to spread. No, and back then with, with coal and fuel oil furnaces and you get a fire start in the basement, it's in your attic like that. Yeah, no time flat. And then your house goes kaputski. Today we do what's called platform framing. It's the most common thing you're going to see today, and the next slide will show that. So what we're used to, right? Mm -hmm. You have the plate, you build a wall up, you build the second floor, the platform, and then you build a second wall on top of that. 
Uh, it's more stable. It provides fire break, natural fire break. Uh, and again, it's the most common built today. Now, typically limited to three stories on residential. Mm-hmm. At that point, then you got to start thinking about steel and that some other sense. stuff. Um, now, let's hover on that real quick because I'd like to talk about, you know, when you talk about framing a lot, I, you know, I do a lot of work with new home builders. And one of the, you know, challenges that some buyers struggle to overcome is, you know, it's a prefab home, if that makes sense, or it's a home that gets built in a factory and shipped out on a truck versus maybe there's still a handful of builders that still do stick framing, meaning they ship out an entire bunk of lump. Of, of uh, lumber, then all all of the uh, carpenters they cut it all out there on site and they build the house on site. Let's talk about pros and cons of both of those types of right methods on. real quick because you know those are the most common that we're going to see in our market at least. Um, all right, so let's start with production builders. Mm-hmm. Now there's a difference between a manufactured home and what you're talking about. Yeah, yep. and we're not talking about manufactured homes, so I don't want people to go ah it's a trailer. With production builders, a lot of times they have the wall panels assembled in a factory mm-hmm. and the, the roof trusses. Yep. Now, the benefit of that is it's in a controlled environment. There's less waste. Mm-hmm. The house can be erected in what's called dried in much, much faster. Right. Uh, even a three or 4,000 square foot home can be erected and dried in in a week or so. Oh, easily. Yeah. And if you go around a lot of these communities and you actually watch these guys do it, <coughs> that's why you can see that they, you know, just throw these things up. You know, I'm using my air quotes here, but, you know, when people say they just throw these things up, well, they're, it's it's literally like building a big block, you know, you know, Lego set and the walls are just one piece. So it's like one big Lego that you have to install. And I think that's what a lot of people maybe struggle with. It's not necessarily the speed in which it goes up that doesn't make it a good thing. It's probably still the same, you know, contractor error when assembling the product that creates problems. Down right. The road. Is that fair? Right. There's no structural difference right. in integrity. Um, stick frame homes, like you said, they bring a load of lumber out and they cut it and frame it on site. Now, the benefit of that is if you run into something weird, a variant between the blueprint and what you're actually doing on the floor, you can correct it much easier because you're just mm-hmm. moving individual sticks at that point. Yep. But the detriment is you use, uh, there's a whole lot of waste involved with stick framing because there's all kinds of cutoffs that you can't you go back and use that three foot piece that you needed or whatever. Right. right. And in the factory, they, a lot of times will finger joint that and make another long board, mm. which finger jointed boards, by the way, are oftentimes more stable I would think because it's actually got more strength where they've connected yeah. it there. Yeah. So uh, th- a lot of the thing is, and this is not dissing anybody here in the Midwest, but we are slow to catch on to a lot of new building technologies. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about a couple of them here later in the show. But um, when I came back from Northern Illinois and I dealt with custom home builders up there and everybody up there was trussing. Mm-hmm. This was 17 or 18 years ago. They were trussing everything. Okay, now explain a truss versus the alternative. Walk us through that for people so, who don't know. A truss is kind of like a fa- factory-built wall panel, but okay. for the roof. Okay. So you've got your factory-built panel for the house, you know, the walls, and then you a truss is basically the equivalent up on top. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Instead of stick-framing each individual rafter and ceiling joist. Um, and we can dig in more on that some other time. Yeah, you really can't see anything there. But... I got back here and I started working at a lumberyard dealing with contractors. And I there was a contractor I couldn't get him to truss a garage he was building because you can't trust him damn trusses. <laughs> um, so we're a little slow to catch on to stuff. But the reality is, from a green perspective, 
wall panels and roof trusses are better. They use less wa- or create less waste. Uh, they're built in a controlled environment. And you know as well as I do, you open a bunk of 394 studs. You're going to lose a few and just bent, twisted, yeah. anything, you name it. Yeah. So I'm personally a fan of panel and truss. I think it's a, a hell of a system. But I also like stick framing. I like the, the carpentry of it. You know what I mean? The, I, would, I would think there's certainly pros and cons to each. You know, certainly when you stick frame a house, you know, the pros are you can have more flexibility with what you can do with it at that point. You know, you can make more custom changes to it than, you know, a builder that's building with, you know, you know, stuff that's shipping out on a truck. They're a lot less likely to make alterations than a builder that's building it out there on site. You right. know, and it's a little bit easier to make those changes if the builder is stick framing. But nevertheless... I think there's certainly pros and cons. I mean, there's, you know, there's cons to stick framing as well, I would think, when you've got to rely on, you know, human error. You know, you've got people out there that are maybe cold or maybe they're hot or, you know, just whatever's going on, and they've got to constantly get every cut right. There's a lot of pressure from that perspective, too. Well, there's that. And also from an engineering standpoint, I can't tell you the number of times, and it, it wasn't with great regularity, I should back up. But it happened enough to where it's noteworthy, where I would have, I would ship out certain materials for headers, which we'll talk about here in a minute what those are, for beams that needed to be placed mm-hmm. in the house, that I had figured based on the calculations that I was taught how to do and blah, 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 blah. And I would come out to do the count-in for the final pickup. So whatever the stick framing didn't use, mm-hmm. we'd give them a credit back for take back to the lumberyard. And, I, and I'd see these beams laying on the ground. And I'd say to the framer, hey, dude, <laughs> why don't you put those in the house? Well, I didn't think I needed them. Okay, well, I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm, it's structurally, <laughs> it, it needed to be in the house. So that's another error that can happen with stick yeah. framing. If it comes out on a truck and is assembled, what I told you to build is what's built. It's already built, yep. Um, so let's go to the next thing. I want to talk about parts of a wall quick. So I talked about header. A header goes, and I'm going to try to do this without losing my mic. Um, the header goes above a window or a door, any kind of opening mm-hmm. in the wall. The header's job is to take the weight from above it. In this picture, we can see floor joist up there. And transfer that weight away from the opening so mm-hmm. it doesn't crush a window or a door and down the sides. So you have the header. You have the king stud, which is a stud that goes all the way up beside the header from top plate to bottom plate. And then you have your tremor or cripple. Trimmer on the side, cripple on the bottom. Um, that takes the weight from the second floor, from the roof above, and takes it all the way down to the foundation. So if you're looking at this now, and I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction, but I run into this a lot. You know, I just bought a house and I'm redoing it right now, and it's uh, you know it was a pre-construction home. And you know, when you see this header up here, sorry, I was getting away from the mic. You see this header up there. There should be a piece of solid wood above a window to hang a curtain or a shade or anything like that, right? Right. Does that? Why does that not always happen? Because I've got a lot of holes where the person that owned this home previously to me did not hit wood. <laughs> well. What you'll find um, on a house like yours yeah. that has trusses, yeah, the weight, the truss carries the weight from outside wall to outside wall. Mm-hmm. On the gable end, the if you're looking at it, you know the, the peak, yeah, the peak of the house, the end that doesn't have a gutter. On the gable end, technically, there's no weight coming down. Mm-hmm. So they may have just rolled with a double top plate and a trimmer above the window and called it good, which would leave you a gap. My stick builders and the way I was taught how to frame, you put a header over every window. Yeah. Uh, and to keep the window and door heights the same around the perimeter of the house, 
regardless, you take the biggest size header you need and you use that for every for one. all of them. Yeah. Um, it does not happen all the time. No, unfortunately, <laughs> it really doesn't. And then you, you have the double top play because, again, that double now essentially up top, you got a four by four, not a mm-hmm. two by four. And that helps carry some of the weight from the joists, too. That makes sense. Everything about the way a house is framed is about transferring the weight from the highest possible point down to the foundation. That, that makes sense. Perfect. Um, now, one thing I kind of want to circle back on when you talk about wall construction, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've dealt with with a few of my customers here recently where they've taken down walls, and and that's how do you maybe remove a wall? Uh, you know, let's say you buy a house and you want to open the floor plan up a little bit. Obviously, you, you hear things like load-bearing and non-load-bearing mm-hmm. walls. What's that necessarily mean when it comes to framing and walls in a house? And if maybe you want to open up your living room a little bit and make it more open to the kitchen type thing, what are the things people need to be aware of or just simply maybe check off the box to know if that's an option or not. Okay, let's talk about the two different kinds of walls, mm-hmm. load-bearing and partition. Okay. Speaking specifically to interior walls now. Mm-hmm. Uh, partition walls are just what they sound like. Mm-hmm. They separate rooms. They don't carry any weight from above. Um, so partition walls you can take out at will. doesn't matter. Load-bearing walls, literally what they sound like, they carry load either from the ridge of the house, the middle. Yep. Um or from the joist or floor above or whatever. If you have a load-bearing wall, that, and we talked about the wall carries the weight from above all the way down to the foundation. If you take that wall out, you've got to put something in there to carry that weight. Mm -hmm. This header, if you take out, let's just use this wall for an example. If you went from edge of screen to edge of screen and took all that wall out, well, i got to put something in there. Now that header becomes one continuous beam that runs all the way across there. Got it. That transfers that, does the same thing, transfers the weight to the outside. So that's what has to be installed. If you're going to take out a load-bearing wall, you're going to have to install some type of a header beam up there in order to make sure that weight gets distributed. Right. And and this is a great point for a hell of a disclaimer. If you're watching this and these are kind of maybe new terms to you, do not take a wall out and assume <laughs> it's not load-bearing. Uh, you can literally hurt yourself. You can damage your home. Uh, a lot of times insurance won't cover it mm-hmm. if you tell them, yeah, I cut this wall in the house, the roof caved in. So don't do not do that. Hire a professional. If you don't know a professional, the guy or gal that helped you buy the house, have them help you find a professional. Absolutely. But do not just guess. No, that'd go poorly. That'd go poorly. Now, let's kind of fast forward a little bit. We've talked about general wall construction. I'd like to talk about maybe some of the newer technology that exists out there when it comes to some of the walls, because this is where, you know, I know you and I just did an episode on, actually a couple episodes on green technology. And I know one of the things you and I both share, you know, passion for is, you know, you know, the environment, making sure that things are, are are in a better spot when we leave this place and when we found it. And so, you know, green construction is a big part of that. And and I'm really fascinated by some of the new technology that exists from not only an energy efficiency standpoint, but also just the materials themselves. So let's dive into that real quick. And, and I should say, we need to spend an entire episode on all the different ways you can build a wall for a house these days. There's a that few is, options. There's so much cool stuff out there. I'm getting all excited. Um, one of them, if we can go to the next slide, is... It's called a SIP, structurally insulated panel. A SIP. Two sheets of OSB with thick foam insulation between them. That's how the wall is built. It's like a bad cookie right there. <laughs> it's a it's a Nilla wafer. Um, they're so cool. The insulation's great. They come out in panels like that, already made, and they interlock. Sweet. So you just literally assemble the wall. Um, 
again, shop built, so they're not stick built on site. Now, right. you, you do have to have some training to learn how to assemble them properly and how to anchor them. And um, your electrician, plumber, all of them will have to have some understanding about how to navigate through the insulation right. there. But it's a it's not even a really that new of a technology anymore. Um, becoming more and more popular as people look for better ways to save energy. And but again, factory built, controlled climate. What what would you say, you know, somebody that's like considering doing this, you know, what are the pros of doing it? Obviously, you're going to save a little bit of money on your heating and cooling costs. But I also hear people say, well, brick's better insulator than just, re- you know, regular drywall and siding too. So it's like, what, where does the truth lie in that when it comes to if I'm going to spend, a, you know, I'm presuming this costs a little bit more money to do than just standard, you know, normal framing. Yeah, sure. You know, what, what's that, you know, cost, cost benefit look like? Well, just like with um, what we talked about before ICS, the energy savings will pay back the additional cost to build it over time. Mm-hmm. People that choose structural insulated panels, frankly, they choose them not only because they want to save energy, but they choose them because it's a green solution. Yeah, They're not using as many natural resources. Yep. Anytime you see long straight lumber, that's... A natural resource. Right. It's been... Yeah, it's gone. And there's wood in this, but it's chipboard. Yep. Um, OSB. God, I couldn't think of the name of it. <laughs> But we talked about that before, too. And, you know, the technology that goes into this, you know, there's factories literally that run the entire factory off sawdust. And there's new epoxies that go into the sawdust. There's just so, simply so many ways to do this that yeah. are more efficient now than it is just cutting down a massive, you know, 40-foot tall tree to get that 20, you know, 22-foot long uh, two-by-four coming out of it. So, And so that's the thing with SIPs. Um, there are other methods that provide different benefits that, that SIPs don't. And the next one... We've talked. You're about excited this about this one. We've talked about my big blue Legos, um, insulated concrete forms. We've covered that I think in a couple of different mm-hmm. episodes. I got a builder right now in downtown Indianapolis who's building with these. We've got two houses going up now. He sent me a picture when I was down in Florida. The roofs on one of them. I got to go over there and check it out. But well, and these things are literally like hurricane-proof walls. Is basically what they are. You yeah. know, it's insulated, poured concrete. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive the technology with these. And you know, again, your house isn't going to blow away. And obviously, we don't have to worry about hurricanes here. But you know, we do. You know, do have the threat of storms and tornadoes and stuff. But simply put, I mean, that's a hell of a lot of insulation, and the strength that's going to come with that is profound. In this stinking thing. Now, you see the channels in there, right? Mm-hmm. So not only is there concrete in the middle, but there's also rebar. Yeah. Metal bars run through the middle that add to the structure and rigidity of the thing. But you assemble those. You fill it with concrete. Not only do you get an R rating, an insulation rating that's in the upper 40s, low 50s. As opposed to normally what when you build a two-by-four framed house, you've got R13 bat insulation that yeah. goes in there, best case. Yeah, so, so 13 to 50. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. In attics, in roofs and ceilings now in Indiana, I think 38 is what's required. Yeah, 38's code, yeah. So you're going to have better insulation in your walls than most people do in their ceilings. So that's one benefit. The other benefit, or another benefit is, that, like you said, it will withstand over 200-mile-an-hour winds. That's impressive. The other thing is you're going to save money on your homeowner's insurance because it has, I think, a four-hour fire rating. That's so a bit better. In urban areas like downtown Indy where the houses are close together, if this house catches on fire, it's not going to catch the next house on fire in 10 Definitely. minutes. Yep. So you get all those different. And um, from my perspective, it, it, it's 10 or 12% more to build one, right? Mm-hmm. But the money you save pays back pretty quick. 
And the structural integrity of the stinking place pays back immediately. Tenfold, yeah. You know, if peace of mind from that perspective is important to you, that's immediately going to pay back tenfold. So that's cool. And I really look over time. And the thing is, you can dress the outside or the inside with anything you want. Anything you want. Any kind of siding. Um, you can put brick on it. You can put a slurry uh, stucco. Mm-hmm. God, I was just in Florida where they stucco everything. I watched the guys stucco in my father-in-law's house. Dude, it was cool. That is a, that is an art form. I am not well-versed. <laughs> it was so amazing. Just a sidebar. I'm watching these guys, and they were cool dudes. I stood out there and shot the breeze with them for a little bit. And they had stuccoed, put the base coat on, and then they decided they wanted to put what looked like a window casing around the windows on the outside. So they made that out of stucco. That's cool. Kind of like 100 years ago, plaster workers would make crown molding out of plaster on the mm-hmm. inside of a house. Uh, when you, When they got done, it looked like like it was built that it way, yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway, so you can stucco that. The inside, you can drywall, you can skim coat plaster, you can do whatever you want. Um, I look for, over the next eight to ten years, pro, uh, stick framing is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. People are always going to want wood walls. And, and that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. We're, we're being more sustainable. And an episode, last episode, we talked about stewardship. Stewardship. Thank you. Um, <laughs> That's all, folks. Um, but I look for ICFs of all the different technologies that are out there for building walls right now. I look for that to be the one that gains more and more ground on wood framing than any of the others I've seen. That makes sense. So, you know, with all the other benefits that come with it, I could definitely see where you're coming from on that. So, well, Greg, what else do we need to knock out on this episode? We've talked about framing. We've talked about different types of foundations to give people an idea what to look for on that. We've talked about walls and, you know, the different types of construction that they need to be aware of or simply what options are when it comes to walls. What are we missing? Well, we could go for another two or three hours on stuff that goes into building a house. I think the main point for me was that Look, if you're buying a home or if you own a home, it's really, really important that you understand at least rudimentarily what these concepts are, Mm -hmm. what these pieces and parts are. Don't assume your inspector knows, although most inspectors I know are highly qualified, very professional people. Don't assume. Don't assume your agent knows. Uh, Definitely don't assume there's a wall you can take out, (laughs) which we covered. But my the, the whole idea was just to give you a base understanding. Yeah. Well, and that's our entire objective with this podcast is is really just to provide a very transparent, very clear look at exactly what goes on with real estate besides just the pictures you see on Zillow and what happens on HGTV. It's, you know, really taking you behind the scenes of what goes on when you're making, you know, a two dollars $500,000 investment in a house. Why not know a little bit about what you're buying and what goes into it and how it's constructed? So, no, I'm definitely enjoying the deep dive on this. We will continue it again next week. And I think for... For this episode, that's all we've got. Thanks for watching. We appreciate everybody. And if you took anything away, please be sure to uh, like, comment, subscribe, all of the above. We love any uh, feedback interaction you have. Uh, We're here to help you out. So until next week, thanks so much. Thanks, guys.